Design and branding is such an essential part of a business, so much so that it almost becomes invisible. Much like music in a film, you only notice it when it's not there. Today's guest on the Cashflow Show is a lady who has made branding, design and design-related work into a successful long-running business. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, join us right after the intro. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch and I'm also the host for the Cashflow Show the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Cashflow Show with our guest, Jilly Clark of Jilly Clark Design. Thank you very much, Clayton. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Well, there should be a big disclaimer amongst this episode. There will be lots of laughing and I will be the culprit. And the main reason is I've known Jilly for um, number of years, too many years to mention. <laughs> uh, we were talking before um, in the pre-show discussion about how long we've known each other and how much businesses have changed in that time. And well, what can I say? It's been a considerable time since we've known each other. But first thing I want to do is to get people, I know you, and it's clear that I know you, but they don't know you. So tell them, who is Julie Clark and Julie Clark Design? What do you do and what are you about? Well, I'm all about bright ideas for design and branding. My passion is to educate and help entrepreneurs make sure they stand out from the crowd. So my background is advertising. So for 20 years, I was working on big brands you'll have heard of, like British Airways, Sainsbury's, Timberland, Pizza Hut. I take that strategic and creative expertise to supporting small businesses and startups. Excellent. That's a follow, that. <laughs> yeah, follow that. <laughs> Next question, Clayton. <laughs> I'm going home now. <laughs> no. Obviously, it's interesting when people find themselves in a position where they're in a big brand situation, then they form their business. I've been in business now for nearly 18 years, and I'm going to make an assumption because when I first met you, you were on the scene at the same time. So would I assume that you, this is your first business and it's also a situation where this was the business that you were working on at the time when I first met you? That's right. Yes, I've been in business on my own since 2001. So yes, we were were on the networking scene together. Yeah. And here we are today, all those years later. Exactly. And there's not many people that have survived that. um, And that's what we discussed earlier. And I think what I wanted to know as a person, because I've met you over many, many occasions, but I know a bit about what you do. But sometimes when you meet people, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to to get an in-depth chat. So the whole point for me is, and to introduce you to a, a whole new set of listeners and a whole new set of fans, is to find out before you started in the corporate world, how did you come to the idea of getting into design? Where, did you used to draw at school? What, what, what happened? What, what? Oh, I did. They were my favourite lessons for O-levels, because I'm that old. <laughs> I did art and pottery and then did an art A-level. Um, this was all before the internet, so I had to find out about art colleges via the post and visits. <laughs> but I had very supportive 
art teachers who I'm still in contact with today. We still exchange Christmas cards. Wow. From the 1970s. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Christmas cards, kids. Remember that. (laughs) So I went to Leicester Polytechnic. In those days, you could do a one-year foundation course, which was to try everything to do with art. I knew I was arty and talented, but not how that could shape my career. So I spent a year trying everything. So sculpture, fashion, photography, design, everything that you could possibly try out to decide where my forte was. And that turned out to be design and advertising. So I had fantastic tutors who had lots of links in the business. So for instance, in college holidays, I was um, working as an intern at Saatchi and Saatchi, who people might have heard of. So a, a small little agency. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> that set me off. And then the minute I graduated, came down to London, was carrying my portfolio around, but it took 70 interviews to get my first job. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. So it was competitive then. It's even more competitive now. So you then decide you, you're, you're at school, you've got the backing and support of tutors and you then decide to then come to London and you're interning at Saatchi and Saatchi. All good stuff. So you get your first job. Yep. Is it what you expect it to be? And more. It was fantastic. It was because the thing is, you don't realise you learn once you get that first job. You're really a novice. You're really a hindrance to the business. But, you know, they train you up and you learn on the job. And what do you think it was different from your um, your fantasy ideal of what it was like in terms of the idea that you have? People have an idea of advertising. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the Saatchi and Saatchi um, days at the end of the day, that was when people started to really recognising advertising as a craft. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it was in the news and people sort of, you know, suddenly wanted to be in advertising. You know, it was, I was very lucky. I was there when, you know, there were big budgets. I worked with amazing photographers, you know, including David Bailey, Norman Parkinson. So I just had a fantastic grounding for what I do today, because for me, what's exciting is the approach to big brands is the same if you're an entrepreneur and a startup. It's still the same approach to thinking about who's your target market, what what is the goal of the marketing or advertising or design, you know, who are you talking to? And that is all the same, whether you're, you know, Nike or Apple or a very small business. So you then find yourself in a position, you're in this agency, you're getting this experience. What are the things that stood out for you during that time? Just be um, the pace of things. You know, sometimes you'd have to turn things around very quickly. You'd be there, you know, late night, all night, but just the buzz of cracking a creative brief. You get a feeling in your stomach when, you, when you've when you cracked that brief and you've come up with a good idea. That's a brilliant feeling. And do you feel that because you were in a position to work on such big accounts, mm-hmm. because, you know, it seemed to me, and this is as an observer, I've never worked in advertising or I've had much to do with it, as a, apart from being a consumer of some sort. Did it seem the intensity of advertising it's very much of quite a cutthroat business oh very much so very much so um and you had to be on the top of your game because there were always new briefs coming in to the creative department and people would literally fight over them because they were fantastic clients or fantastic briefs 
but you probably were only proud of maybe two or three things you did in the whole year for various reasons. Budgets got cut, clients weren't as brave as you were hoping. So your portfolio probably only had two or three things in for every year that you worked. And I worked for 20 years. So in terms of what you did, you were in a position where obviously people are fighting over these quality things. And I I always watch these American dramas and somebody's working for Johnson and Johnson and Johnson. And it's like, you know, oh, we've lost our client. We've lost that brief. And people are going into meltdown Mm -hmm. and ready to... to, Was it really like that? It was like that. And if you lost a big client, you knew that there would be redundancies and they would happen almost straight away. Pack your bags and you'd be off. Yeah, it was... It was cruel, but exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Reminds me of somebody I knew once, but I won't even talk about that. Um, I think that we all have an image of advertising. Mm -hmm. A lot of that's been formulated by things like Mad Men. I mean, that's really driven a lot of it. The things like you hear about, you know, Ogilvy's book about advertising and about, um, is it Ogilvy? It is, yeah, 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 David Ogilvy, yeah. yeah. And that approach to advertising where certain things in terms of copy and who you're trying to reach. I mean, those skills really effectively were very transferable skills for you. Uh, Well, I use them every day now. And there's also another person I'd like to mention um, from that time who's still around now, Dave Trott. He writes blogs and fantastic books. Um, One of them is Predatory Thinking. And I urge you to have a look at them because they are so perceptive about the psychology of buyer behaviour and people's behaviour. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as an aside, I remember watching a a TV programme and it was it was about creating FOMO. And for those that don't know, FOMO is an acronym, meaning the fear of missing out. So if, for example, your friend's going to a nightclub and you're stuck there with a cold and, you know, um, snot on your nose and um, <laughs> uh, and paper tissues everywhere and you're thinking to yourself, I'd like to be out there, I'd like to be there, but you can't. So you've got that fear of missing out or, or something similar to that. And they had a restaurant scene set up mm-hmm. and they told people that there was only one lobster left. And even people who didn't bloody well want I was going to say who don't like lobster, who are allergic to lobster, yeah, they, they wanted it. They wanted it. Oh, yeah. And I saw, I saw this black lady. She was like, she'd come in for something else. And I'm thinking, girlfriend, you don't even eat lobster. <laughs> <laughs> not that black people don't eat lobster. I mean, that'd be ridiculous for me to say. But I yeah. knew that that's not what she wanted. That's not what she ordered. But as soon as it came down to the last one. Mm-hmm. Well, think about Black Friday. Yeah. And, you know, those fights in, in the supermarkets yeah. and things over big tellies and yeah. things. You know, it got violent. <laughs> it, gets, yeah, it gets very violent. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, that is you know, FOMO of the highest order, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. And I I suppose you were able to see how consumer behaviour could be manipulated. Well, the thing about running a business, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of your customers, whether that's a product or a service. So that's the thing you must do. I've had clients come to me uh, saying, oh, can you design me a logo and a business card? I'm starting up a business. My favourite colour is pink and I like this particular twiddly typeface. You know, that is the wrong approach. They're not thinking about, we're actually designing for their dream client, for their target market. And that's, that's what you've got to do. Even if you would not be a consumer, 
for that product or service. You've got to think about what do they like? What do they drive? What do they read? What do they watch? You've got to get under the skin of them. And then that will determine how you approach that and what kind of tone of styles of colours and typography and imagery is going to be appropriate for them. It is interesting because when we're living in a world and we're living in a situation where lots of people are able to start businesses and businesses are very easy, even from when we started businesses, it's so much easier Mm. now. And I I refer to it very often. You can wake up in the morning, still be in your pyjamas, and by lunchtime, you've got yourself a business, a website, yeah. a VAT number, you know, <laughs> everything. And you're, you're up and running. You're mm. off to the races. And you, you know, just about brushed your teeth and, and had your cereal. It's, it's an amazing concept. But I do you think that a lot of people come to business and come to design? Because even just little simple things that you learn. I, I read, I, I love design. I love it. I don't necessarily understand it. I'm not an expert in it. But I love design, well design. And I'll look at things that have been designed. They just look at it and just go, wow, mm. I love design. And I love the way that things are designed. I love to look at it, whether, it, whether it's a blueprint or whether it's a schematic diagram whatever it is anything that's been designed I love to look at the idea and the thought behind it and sometimes I think we in business we very much like the idea of we think that we can be a designer ah it look, <laughs> yeah that, that's the problem um it looks deceptively simple but the thing is there's lots successful design there's strategy behind it it's not just I'll turn on the computer and I'll choose this typeface and make it a colour, add this image from clip art and wow, I've got a logo. Yes. um, Yeah, you see a lot of it. I mean, even just the basic ones, you know, like, you know, using Comic Sans as a... Oh, Ah, don't. (laughs) I'm sorry, I know. I didn't want to hurt you with that. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. I, that, um, if you've ever, everybody's heard of Comic Sans. If you haven't, look it up. And Comic Sans is one of the most reviled fonts in the history of um, uh, fonting. <laughs> fonting, I like definitely. In the history of fonting, um, uh, Comic Sans is, or comic, it should be Comic Sans, as in the French. But Comic Sans is seen as very much um, a, a font that, if you're using that, you're a complete and utter joker. Absolutely, yeah. You, you're not you're not allowed to use it. Although, saying that, there was a charity for designers where you could only use Comic Sans. So that was the challenge. You oh. had to create a poster using Comic Sans. Okay. But things like that, um, a serif and sans serif. I'm impressed you even know that, Clayton. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've done my homework. I do a bit of studying. As I said, I love design. And I will sit there when, you know, articles come up on the internet mm-hmm. about design and I'm trying to fit it into debt recovery and whatever. And it, it just means that buggers won't pay. I mean, it, it, <laughs> there is no font for that. No. <laughs> I'll have to design you one. <laughs> the, the pay up font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, f- things like that, even um, a serif and sans serif, uh, um, I'm going to let you explain that because I think you could do it better than I could. <laughs> so serif fonts came first um, with the printing of firstly Bibles and then books. And it ha- usually has little tails or marks on the ends of the strokes of the letters. Is that like Times New Roman? Times New Roman was designed for the Times New newspaper and it is most legible to read in print. Then there was, if you think about Scandinavian design, very clean, then you get sans serif fonts, which don't have the little twiddly bits 
on the ends of the letters okay. are much plainer. And so examples of that would be Ariel, Verdana, Gil Sands, and they are much more suitable in our digital world, much more legible of on course. the screen. Right. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That so makes sense. I've forgotten the thread of the question now. No, I think what we were talking about is that the way that people perceive designing and the ability that anybody can design and not knowing that the the fact is knowing not to use Comic Sans, oh, uh, comic sans exactly. I should say, exactly. is, is, is rule number one. And number two, that the power of... You know, if you want to appear more authoritative, then a serif font can be more helpful with that. Or does yeah. that not work? Well, it, it would have a certain gravitas. Right. So it would be suitable if, say, you were a solicitor or a business coach or uh, maybe an accountant. Mm. But you might want to look forward thinking, not be an ordinary accountant. Mm. So maybe you do the opposite. If they're, everybody's zigging, you want to zag okay. to stand out. So you would maybe have a very modern sans-serif font and look different. And so that perception by whoever was looking at that would come through. So with all this knowledge, you then decide at some stage that you want to become an entrepreneur. Did you fall into that or did you just wake up one morning and say, Dagnamit, I'm going to become an entrepreneur? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of happened slowly by default. Uh, My copywriter partner and I were made redundant which happens a lot in advertising. And it just suited us at that time to be a bit more flexible. We had other things going on in our lives. So we started freelancing because we had lots of contacts in the business. And from there, the business grew and I've never looked back. So it's really a situation where it fell into your lap, but you were really quite ready and up for the challenge. Exactly. As I say, it it was the point in my life where I needed to be have a bit more flexibility. So that's the joy of an entrepreneur of, you know, thinking about, well, I can plan my day. You know, maybe I'm doing things in the day, but I work at night, whatever suits you. Yeah, I know I've got a friend of mine. He, he plans his um, world around tennis. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are, mate. <laughs> <laughs> But he plans his, his thing around, which is absolutely fantastic because, you know, when the, the tennis season is on now, he he normally works in antiques. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence of that, that's his speciality. But normally when the antique season has gone quiet, mm-hmm. the tennis season kicks in. That's lucky. So, so he's <laughs> incredibly fortunate in that respect. But all at the same time, he gets to do something that he loves. Yeah. And, you know, which is really important. I mean... You then decide that you're going to make that leap. So mm-hmm. what's been your scariest time as an entrepreneur? Because remember, you're going from working in some pretty high-flying places. Yeah, you know, true. You know, the, the, the cash was spinning then. Oh, yeah. Oh, the cash was spinning. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, there was big budgets, money flying everywhere. So you've got to the stage now where you think, right, I'm going to go solo. Mm-hmm. And then what happens then? What's it, what happens here? It, it didn't all go smoothly. Oh, of course not. Of course not. No, flying solo is quite scary, uh, but exhilarating too. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered networking. So that, that was the door on, okay, I've got to get some clients. So after I'd exhausted my little black book of contacts and people in the agencies who were giving me freelance work, I thought I've got to diversify here and find some clients of my own. So that's what I did, started networking. And what was your first experience of networking? Do you remember? I don't remember mine. Ooh, I uh, don't, actually. I don't. Uh, it, 
it always seems to have been something that I've done. Mm. And that I, even when I say to people now, and I say to you, oh, how do you find your clients then? Or how do you find the people that you work with? And I say, networking, they look shocked. Right. And to me, I just, I just couldn't think of it any other way. I think you need to build relationships with people. You do. Well, and equally, as you know, networking isn't a quick thing. You're not going to go along to an event and come away with work. You, no. You're making those first forays, those connections that you then follow up with, you know, a coffee or a beer or a wine or seeing what each other is all about and how you can help each other. But do you remember the events at um, um, Business Link? I do. God, man, I'll tell you something. Wow. I, dream, I dream of those days. Oh, man. <laughs> the catering was oh, amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> For 25 quid, I used to come out of there hammered. <laughs> oh, it was, it was absolutely yeah. amazing. Absolutely amazing. That was, that was, that was the pinnacle of networking for me. But it seems crazy that Business Link is no more when there's more entrepreneurs Complete, than ever. Yeah. And equally Prime, do you remember Prime? Over 50s? No, I don't remember Prime. Prime was a charity and I think Prince Charles was the patron and it was all to do with promoting entrepreneurs 50 and above. It's no more. Crazy. Absolute madness because now that's a massive, massive market. Definitely. Massive market. I, I find it very strange and I did always find it very strange in terms of them getting rid of Business Link. And for those that don't know, Business Link was an organisation, uh, I think government publicly funded, that was aimed at basically um, helping entrepreneurs and growing new businesses. And to a certain extent, it, I think, feel it was quite successful. I met a lot of people that got a lot of benefit from business. Me too, because you, you could have one-to-one -one with a sort of advisor, mentor. Yeah. So it wasn't just the events. It was much more support than that. I think they devolved a lot of it into lots of smaller things. Mm. And I think they gave a lot of that stuff through to local authority. I know in Lucian, they've got the DEC program, yeah. the DEK program, and, and so on and so forth, where they work with, I think, Goldsmiths, uh, Lucian Council and some other people as well. But I think for me, I think Business Link had a, that very central point. It was very much run out of like the mayor's office for one mm -hmm. or the mayor's office then as yeah. it was. And I think that for a lot of people, it was a very, very good way of actually seeing what other businesses were doing. The quality of the events were really good. But it then just, they just sort of pulled that away. And I think what they wanted to create was that they wanted established businesses to mentor for free. I thought, mm. hold on, that's not going to work. No. It's not going to work in any shape or form. And that's what I find interesting. But I do remember those days because networking then seemed to be, there were a lot of events. No, I actually think there are more events now. Definitely. But the quality of the events to me has gone down it's different some are much smaller aren't they yeah. um there's quite a few ladies only ones um which are just meeting over a coffee yeah but for some people it's it's baby steps into business because they feel daunted by either an investment into something where you know it, it's a big fee and a commitment every week or every month so this is just, you know, meeting other ladies for coffee and supporting each other in business. Yeah. So and I think that works. I, I, I do think that to a certain extent, a lot of membership and networking events, I think they can work if you've got a certain, if you want to make that commitment and you like the surroundings yeah. and the format. 
But I would always suggest to people, if you don't like the surroundings and the format, don't do it. It's not really what you, what you want to do. Do what you feel you're comfortable doing, as opposed to a lot of people feel very daunted by it. I think you should do some form of networking. Definitely don't, you know, sit at home and then think to yourself, oh my God, I'm not meeting anybody. <laughs> <laughs> happens i mean so you know we obviously took that step in terms of um networking in terms of your business you've had the scary times yeah what has been your most proudest moment in business well a recent one was i'm quite active on twitter indeed so you are. my twitter handle is at jilly underscore pepper and i don't know whether you know but jacqueline gold oh the yes. entrepreneur the ladies on all Absolutely. Yeah. And Summers. Yeah. So <laughs> she is very supportive of women in business. Yes, yeah. And every week she runs a Twitter competition. Okay. Hashtag wow, W-O-W. And she picks three women in business. Okay. To showcase and shout out. And she's got 60,000 followers. And about a month ago, I was one of the oh, people wow. she picked. Wow, well done. So very proud of that. Yeah. So that, that's upped my followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it should. At the end of the day, as I said, I mean, I always talk about Jacqueline Gold. I find her quite interesting. Um, uh, and I, I love that move that she made with Ann Summers and that masterstroke. Now, those who may not know Ann Summers from back in the day, quotation is now ruined. <laughs> but I may not know, but um, it had a certain type of reputation. And what I loved that she did is that purchase of Knickerbox. That was a smart move. Because when she purchased Knickerbox, or oh, they purchased Knickerbox, she purchased Knickerbox, put in the knickers at the front and put in all the other apparatus, I should put that way, <laughs> at the back. Merchandise. Yeah, yeah yes. merchandise. Yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. <laughs> but putting that at the back and then creating and dumping that right in the middle of every high street and shopping centre, mm. that was a masterstroke. Because when you went into the front, there was nothing there that somebody could be considered offensive. No, or, or you'd scare your granny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was brilliant. And that shows you that with mergers and acquisitions, how powerful you can make your brand and basically let it fill a market and let it be able to occupy markets that you didn't initially think of. Absolutely. So yeah. Was... So we're back to biopsychology again. Of aren't course, we? yeah, most definitely, because that was brilliant. Because the way that you were able to just transport Ann Summers in, and people like Ann Summers, yeah, it was it was no big thing. No. Whereas you know, thirty, forty years ago, she'd had that problem of people going to look at this and they're not going to go anywhere near this. Mm. So it was it was quite a masterstroke in that respect. So how did you feel being in a position being picked out? Oh, well, I've been doing this competition for a while and um, I was thrilled, thrilled to be picked out because, as I said, she's very supportive of other women in business. And I like the fact that, you know, she still celebrates being a woman. It doesn't mean you have to be aggressive or change into a man to do well in business. Oh, yeah. I think that's a thing that people really underestimate i think as a man in business and i don't know all men get treated equally in business i put that as a side bar the reality of it is is that as a woman i think that sometimes that when women fail is when women then try to act like men yeah i think it doesn't work no it doesn't work just be yourself play to your strengths yeah play to your strengths play yeah. to what you do at the end of the day that what you need to do is just to be yourself and people if you've got something, a product or a service that makes sense, 
then you, you will you will encourage people to buy from you if you've got you know, and and that's what I think I think a lot of people make the sense that you know I've got to go into a room and I've got to be as aggressive as this guy and I'm like whoa wait a minute you picked the wrong guy mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in that I just want to know whether your product or your service is good yeah a can I afford it B, do I need it? Mm. And if we can deal with that, then obviously we've got a conversation. If not, we're still cool. Mm. But the reality of it is, is that at the end of that, I may be able to pass you on to somebody or refer you on to somebody who does want to buy and may be able to help you. Because the problem is, is that as you and I know, we are actually in business in London in a very, very small network, really. It's big and it's small in the same way because mm. a lot of people know people with less than three degrees of separation. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at what happens at networking events. Yes. So people on that circuit. Of course, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's what, you know, I've been to some events. I went up to Manchester because so, I, 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 I'm I I'm very spontaneous like that. I just, right, let me see what the Mancunians are doing. Ooh. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, <laughs> <hey up. laughs> so I decided to go up to work to check out the, the Manchester networking. And that was good. Mm. It's not got the set. It's got a slightly different vibe from the... Um, uh, but you'd expect the, that. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's good because that's mm. what you want to see. You want to see the difference. You know, Sheffield, that's got a slightly different vibe at the end of the day. I want to sort of go more to sort of Bristol, Southwest, Wales, that kind of thing, just to see what other people do. Because mm-hmm. that's a good tip because when you then meet people from those areas, you then open up yourself on LinkedIn to other people in those areas wanting to contact you. Of course. So um, uh, it's always quite helpful in that respect as well. And I always see networking as in a way, briefing my sales force. If I can communicate to somebody what I do and they understand it, then they are going to become, you know, my ambassador. They'll hopefully refer me to people that might want my services. Of course. That's the whole point. I think a lot of people don't understand that the the person that you meet is not always the person that buys. Exactly. Exactly. But they know four or five, six hundred people who might need your services or products. I mean, in terms of that, do you think that being around a long time is a major factor in your success? I think so, um, because consistency builds brands. So in a way, I'm the embodiment of that with my my own brand of you cannot be complacent. You can't just think, oh, I've been to that. Uh, you know, I won't go again this year. You, you've got to be seen by people. You, it's that nudge of, oh, they're still around. They're still in business. Of it's course. important. Of course. I mean, and the thing is, is that what I always say to people is that no matter what you're doing, people are always watching you. <laughs> and you'd be surprised at how many people see your posts. Maybe they won't comment because there, there are many people, you know, I have got X amount of people connected to in LinkedIn and I post quite regularly. But I'm sure that most people see it and think, ah, oh, it's that guy again cool and they may not make a comment they may not may do a like but that message goes through and gets through you're on their radar exactly yeah and i think that's really important in order to build that relationship and it's i think people underestimate it they they underestimate it and i suppose to a certain extent you building your business and building brands does it make you aware of how you represent your brand since you're so so tasked with helping others definitely and as you know i always try and wear either something very bright or some very distinctive jewelry yeah. and people remember that even men <laughs> <laughs> 
because yeah. um, many designers wear black and grey. Of course. So I'm doing the opposite. I always wear something bright and that is then an embodiment of my bright ideas for design and branding, that double meaning of what that is. And that is what I find fascinating. For that, is it that Anna Wintour? Mm-hmm. She dresses like crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering she's the editor. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm thinking, American Vogue. Exactly. This is the bit I don't get. I'm sorry, Anna. You know, we've got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't like her style. No, not no. at all. Uh, I can't. I can't. I can't. Where's the style? Well, she always dresses in very expensive things, but doesn't always buy style, no, does no, it? Well, I don't think so. I, I'm, you know, they're probably going to get shut down for that now. <laughs> um, but no, I, I just don't. I, I look at her, and I could mm. never work out Karl Lagerfeld. I could. He, he, he had a uniform, and he yeah. wore the same stuff all over and over again. And did you notice how tall his collar yes, yeah. was? It was really tight around yeah, his yeah, neck, yeah. especially made shirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was always really kind of weird. And I'm thinking, you're a fashion guy. I'm thinking, okay. But I suppose to a certain extent, if you're not concentrating on your own fashion, I suppose then you can do the job that you're supposed to do. Maybe and he was all. usually designing for women. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, he had a uniform. So he blended in the background ish. Ish, ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although his cat got yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, he's cat. Choupette. Yeah, yeah, he's cat. Own Instagram account, so. And I, and I think he left the, the cat whole heap of money. Millions. Damn, rich. Never mind, I'm not going to use that word. Um, a rich cat. Yeah, yeah. very rich cat. Um, <laughs> anyway, speaking of riches, this is probably a good time <laughs> for us to take a break and have a word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back right after that break and continue our conversation with Jilly Clark. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. Visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. Hello and welcome back to The Cashflow Show with our guest today, Jilly Clark of Jilly Clark Design. Jilly, it's that time. Is it? Is it Clayton? <laughs> it's that time of the of the podcast where we actually start asking the questions and we get deep. We get you real get deep. more personal. Yeah, that's what we do. Get personal up front, especially after the Anne Summers incident. So here we are. So the questions are as follows: Mm-mm. What is your favourite film and why? <laughs> right. Well, Clayton, my favourite film is one called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. <gasps> I don't know if it's in it, starring Steve Martin and Rachel Ward. It's a spoof on the 1940s film noir gumshoe films. (laughs) Why I love it, it's very, very clever in that it is, yes, it's filming with those two characters, but also intercut with lots of famous films that you'll have known, like Hitchcock's and whatever. So the whole story is a patchwork of them reacting to scenes from existing films. And that then got spoofed even more by an ad, which was for a lager, and I'm trying to remember which one. I'm 
The sugar turns to alcohol. That's it. Oh, God. It wasn't Hoff. Harnikin pills. Uh, no, Holston pills. Holston pills. Holston pills. Yeah. yeah. Holston pills. Holston yeah. pills. With Griffrey's Jones. That's right. Yeah. But then it got spoofed again. I will trump you. Oh. There was a series, I think it was in the early 90s, called Dream On. Oh, I've never heard of that. Which was an American series uh-huh. where what would happen is that it was about this guy. And I don't know if he worked in advertising or something similar to that. But what every time he would react to a particular scene, mm. it would cut to a black and white movie and very much in the Dead Men Don't Wear Played situation. Right. Yeah. So it was, yeah, very much in that. So a lot of people don't remember that um, uh, series. It's called Dream On. So Dream On. If you try, if you, if you try uh, looking that up on YouTube, oh, you well. might find some episodes of that. But yeah, so th- it was, that was a continuation. So that, I remember the um, Holston Pills. That mm. was a big advert. But yeah, Dream On. Dream On. A complete series in relation to that. So something would happen mm. and then it would be immediately cut, edit straight into some film noir situation or some black and white yeah, film yeah. situation. So it was Love very it. funny. Yeah. Okay, so that's an excellent choice. Uh, okay. I do know. So moving forward, what is your favourite book and why? Right, favourite book. Um, one of my favourite authors is John Irving. Okay. And my favourite book of his is called A Prayer for Owen Meany. I don't know if you no, know no, that no. one. And what I like about him is he has such an array of fantastic characters um, but Owen Meany shows such fortitude and resilience. That's why I like that book. Okay, cool. Excellent. And I always find, what is your favourite business book, if you have one? Well, I'm going back to somebody I mentioned earlier, yes. Dave, Dave Trott's books. So Predatory Thinking, um, I can't remember the others that's right, right now. So that's but, Dave Trott. So Dave Trott, all about psychology and insight into consumer behaviour. And what is your favourite album, stroke, single and why? Or download, I'm sorry for the millennial crew. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> so my favourite single is Smooth, which is a collaboration with Carlos Santana. Ooh. And Rob Thomas. Ooh, so I, I like do that. do like a bit of Carlos Santana guitar. But again, it's back to the interesting collaboration of two things you wouldn't necessarily have put together. Um, and just that song, I, I can play it all day. It still gives me chicken skin whenever I play it. And I always want to dance when that comes on. It's a great I'm song. I'm up on the dance floor. Yeah, it's a great song. It is a great song. Um, uh, sometimes people are always a bit unsure what to choose. Mm. And um, I, I could do a whole show out of what I would choose because it would just go on and on <laughs> and on and on and bore people to death. But I mean, that is a good choice. I do like that. It's a great record. I think the guy, he's in the lead singer of Matchbox 20, I think it is, or something like that. Can't remember um, uh, his name. Um, but uh, yeah. What, the Rob Thomas? Yeah, Rob, Rob Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think he's the, he and I think that was why the, the co- collaboration came about. Mm. But oh, yeah, Carlos Santana is just hey, fantastic. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so distinctive. You know, yeah, yeah. his guitar just sounds so distinctive. Yeah, he's I, playing. That I always say to people, people say, oh, do you, you know, Prince, he sounds. Sounds like Jimi Hendrix. No, he doesn't. He actually sounds like Carlos Santana. That's that was <laughs> Prince's idol, um, and a lot of people didn't know that. So I thought I'd share that with the with Thank the audience. Thank you for slipping that in. There. I thought I, yeah. I, I, 
as you do. <laughs> Another question that we ask, and I'll come back to. We're, no, let's have a bonus. 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 Oh, yeah, Ooh, we're going to throw in a couple you're of. You're spoiling <laughs> me now. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I wrote this down while we were having our conversation though, earlier. And I wanted to ask, what's your favorite advert? Spending your time in advertising, mm-hmm. it, that would leave you to be exposed to a lot of adverts in itself. So, do you have any particular favorite adverts? I do. The one I still really remember wouldn't be allowed now because it, it's advertising cigars, the Hamlet series. Yes. And especially the one in the photo booth. I just love, love, love that ad. It's so simple, yet so funny. <laughs> okay. Um, your, and what's your favourite logo? My favourite logo? Wow, that's a very leading question. I would have to say the logo I probably admire the most um, is Nike, because now you don't even see the words. It's just the swoosh. So that is the ultimate in simplicity. And you don't even have to see all of the swoosh to know that that's the logo. That's true. Very true. I mean, the fact is, is MasterCard are trying to do the si- a with similar their thing. With intersecting circles. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to do that, but mm. they're trying to do away with the actual word MasterCard. Yeah. So that effectively it will just be the, be the circles on, the, on their own. That is very interesting. But have you heard of Mogos? Mogos? Yeah. Oh, no. Enlighten me. <laughs> I'm a man on the street. I know what's going down. Hey. <laughs> a Mogo is a musical logo. That's that's the thing. That's the no, new thing. That, that's the new thing, the musical logo. I will need to look into that. So, for example, if you've been to the cinema recently, you you know, that's the sort of set of sounds that you hear bef- with the Dolby mm. THX before yeah. it starts. They would consider that to be a Mogo. Because obviously it's associated with that. Yeah. And you can, for example, you know, you've got other classic ones like um, uh, the Nokia ringtone mm-hmm. that would could be considered a Mogo as well. But, you know, a, a musical thing that yeah. basically equates to your physical picture type logo. Right. See, you learn something every day. I'm quite interesting. In, in terms of adverts, there are adverts that have fascinated me. And I once remember being on holiday and seeing this advert again and again. And it was Robert Carlyle mm-hmm. in a Johnny Walker advert. And he was way out in the distance and he starts talking. And he starts talking and starts talking. Gives you literally the history of Johnny Walker as he comes close and close. And that advert has mesmerised me for yonks. Number one, his ability to remember all of it, number one. (laughs) But number two also, it was just a very simple thing and the power that it has. Mm. And it reminds me of those old adverts. And I think this is one of the old Mad Men type of adverts. Have you ever seen the one with the Rolls Royce, the advert for the Rolls Royce? What, the print ad? Yeah. Yeah. The Uh, the loudest noise is the ticking of the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you know, you sit down and you think to yourself, how can I make something like that? Mm. Or how can I inspire somebody to do something like that for my brand? And uh, we're talking about, um, um, Julia and I are talking about an old print ad. It was probably in the 50s or something, or was it 50s, 60s? Yeah, I wouldn't like to say what, what decade it uh, is, I'm, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to put it down to 50s, between 50s and 60s. And this print ad was basically an advert for Rolls-Royce. The head of the copy or the headline, the headline yeah. was effectively, you know, was it the only... The, the loudest noise is the ticking of the clock. Because there was an inbuilt clock into the dashboard. Exactly. And I think... What it was trying to say was, is that this car ran so smoothly 
Yeah. It was so smooth. It was so quiet. Even the ticking of the clock was louder than the sound of the engine. And it was... Just I, gliding along. Yeah, just gliding yeah. along. Even that. And, you know, it was just amazing. And I I know what people say, God, it's just a print ad. But it uh, was what it was able to evoke in just one sentence. But it took a brave client and an agency to almost educate the client about just do one idea in it. Yeah, that that's the trouble. A lot of people try and cram everything in to their to their design or their business card or or their ads when it, it should only be one idea for each execution. I think the problem that you have and being a, a consumer stroke client in that respect is that we all want to be all singing and all dancing. Remember when we start off in our businesses, mm-hmm. we start off and people say, "Oh, so um, um, who's your type of client? Then what's the type of client you're looking for?" And you turn around and say, oh, everybody's my client. Exactly. And you get nobody. (laughs) (laughs) If you say that. (laughs) Exactly. And you do get nobody. I mean, it took us years to pin down Mm. who our clients were. It took years. But when it happened, it happened instantly. One of the reasons for it was just literally looking at all the people that we'd met, all the people that we wanted to work with and Mm -hmm. to continue to work with and putting those people in a demographic. And it was just overnight. It was like, okay, these are the people that we serve. These are the people that we work with. And then marketing to them in language or imagery that they will relate to. Exactly, exactly. Because you have a a sort of a tighter message. Of course, most definitely. I think the problem is everybody, I think we we all dream that we can be like Amazon and sell to everyone. Or Coca-Cola or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And the Coca-Cola has other brands in terms, even water, (laughs) that they sell to people. If you don't want any of that fizzy stuff Mm. and the stuff that, you know, cleans um, um, (laughs) two PPCs. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever do that experiment (laughs) because you'll be shocked, kids. Um, that to me makes me look at that situation and think to myself, a lot of brands start off with really having no focus Mm. and people want this idea, oh, we're going to be so big, we're going to sell to everybody and we're going to do this. And the fact is, what is your message? What is it that you do? And what is it that you're selling? Because a lot of people are looking and think, I don't know what you do. Yeah. Do you find that with business cards? I do. I do. Or you meet people networking and, and they explain what they do and you still don't really know. So how could I possibly refer them? Because I'm, I've no idea what their product or service really is or who they're targeting. So I can't listen out for something. And that is fascinating because I went to an event at IOD at Christmas, Institute of Directors. And what was funny, I wasn't party to this conversation, but one of my friends who was there had a chap talking to her and she said to him, oh, so what is it that you do? Oh, well, I'm a consultant. And she goes, oh, that's great. Uh, A consultant for for any industry or what would you do? I'm a consultant. And she goes, yeah, I know that you're a consultant, (laughs) but what do you, I consult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Give me a clue. (laughs) Give me a clue. And the fact is he wasn't a consultant, really. Mm. He found a title, Mm. and but he didn't have a business to back his title. So nobody knew what he was doing. So the fact is you're a consultant about being a consultant. So as you said, how can I help you? Yeah. You you know, people get into stuff and they don't have that focus. And I think maybe, do you think that if people concentrated maybe on their branding first and really focused on that, they would actually get a tighter business message? Well, this is what I find. When I'm working with a new client, I actually have a four-page questionnaire, which sometimes freaks them out. Oh, yeah, that bet you <laughs> I, yeah, I only wanted a logo and a business card. What's this? 
<laughs> but by guiding them through that, they will then have a clear idea on their strategy and who we're targeting, who their dream client is, who their, what I term, bread and butter client. So from that, that then becomes the creative brief. So I then know as a designer what is going to be appropriate as to typefaces, colours, imagery, tone of voice so that they get their branding, you know, spot on, because otherwise it's too vague. And it seems counterintuitive to be niche, but you need to be niche to start out. Then you can grow once you're known in that niche. And that's another thing I find with business. People turn up and have got three or four different businesses. Mm -hmm. It's not a competition. I've got more businesses than you've got. No. Tell me what is the business that you actually do, for God's sake, you (laughs) fool. I mean, you know, I remember seeing this American and this guy basically turned up at a network and it was like a, it was like a BNI thing. And he, t- and this was in America, he turned up and he was giving out people two free business cards at a time from one person. Mm-hmm. You know, he reminds you of the guy that comes to a networking event and doesn't talk to anybody, but hands his business card oh. out to everybody and, yeah. then, and then leaves in a hurry. Uh-huh. And then you wonder, mm, I don't think that's going to go anywhere, really. No. No. That's not going to get results. No, it's not going to no. get results. And this guy, he basically got, to, oh, oh, you get a business card. On one side is that they're uh, um, uh, an architect. On the other side, they're a taxidermist or something like that, you know. Yeah. How does that link? Or or they've got one website with all these, you know, strange, incohesive businesses that are targeting different people. So, of course, you're not going to get people who are happy because they're going, why why am I looking at this when I wanted that? Exactly. And it's very hard to define your business message. And I think that for a lot of people, that that difficulty is what drives what a lot a lot of their confusion, because they just seem to they don't seem to have a message about what they want to achieve. It's the idea that people have now they don't just want to be a millionaire they want to be a billionaire they don't just want to have one business oh I've got this business and I'm a director of this business and I see some people's LinkedIn and I'm thinking okay you've got one main business let me know which business to find Mm. you under because I don't know what you do and the fact is I can't help promote you in any shape or form unless I know that you are the you know like the lady bug lady we were talking about you know yeah. she she's got a job and she's got a a, a, mm. a definition she's a focus a focus yeah and that's the most important thing to me and I think that's what drives a lot of people to absolute confusion and I, I don't know it's just said you know you design business cards how many people don't use the back of their business cards yeah good point <laughs> Well, we're all about giving advice here. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're getting a bit worried now. Now I'm in the hot seat. (laughs) What is your advice to anyone thinking of starting a business? First of all, think about who you will be selling to. You've got to put yourself in in their shoes. So think about who is going to be buying your product or service. Because that's who you're aiming your marketing at. That's who you're designing your logo and business cards and stationery to appeal to. I like that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but the fact is, is that it, you're absolutely spot on. And I think that's the whole point. You know, you have to... I think people are afraid of niches. Afraid of niches. And also, the other thing is, you've got to be consistent across every touch point. And by every touch point, I mean what they wear when they go networking what the language they use in their emails, even how they talk on the phone, everything is marketing and branding and telling that story. So you need to be consistent 
across everything. That's a very good point. Well, you and I, we both know Brad Burton. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what I love, and I'd love to get him on here. He's one the person I'd like to reach out to at some point. What I find fascinating is that I always say this, Brad Burton looks more debt recovery and late payment collection than I do. <laughs> Yes, he does. Nicest guy in the world. <laughs> really, I really, I, I, I pussy cat. I'm sure. Yeah, I really. <laughs> the stories that he tells are absolutely hilarious. Um, uh, but the fact is, if somebody were to say, "What job do you do?" and the fact that he's been able to take mm. his image and retain his personal image, yeah. and still be successful in the public speaking arena, my hat goes off to him. Yeah, it's true to himself. Exactly. Isn't he? And yeah. that's what people have found. Mm. I find him actually hilarious. Um, and the story that he tells about being at home in his, um, uh, in his wife fronts, waiting for the um, uh, results from the Jeremy Kyle show. Um, uh, absolutely <laughs> amazing. No, no. <laughs> it's funny because it shows you how procrastination in business can do <laughs> what it can do for you. Absolutely. Oh, dear. So... We're coming towards the end of our um, oh. time here on the cash flow. I know we could talk forever, but the fact is by the time it's all edited up or whatever the case may be, people are going to look at it thinking, am I going to listen to these people talk for an hour? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we may have to um, edit that bit. But it's been fantastic having you on and it really do appreciate you taking the time to, to, to be with us. You've got your business and it's been running successfully successfully for a long, long time now. Yep. So where can people find you in order that we can help maintain your business? So tell us if people are looking for you, where can they find you on social media, on the net? Go for it. This is your chance to shine. Thank you, Clayton. So first of all, find me on my website, www.jillyclark, spelled C-L-A-R-K, no E, dot com. I'm also on LinkedIn as Jilly Clark. On Twitter, I'm Jilly, J-I-L-L-Y underscore Pepper, P-E-P-P-E-R. And on Instagram, Jilly Pepper underscore Design. Looking forward to connecting with you all. Excellent. That's brilliant because it's, it's important for us to be able to give back to people who've made the effort and time to come along here because I think the pe for people listening, it's, it's something that they think, oh, it just happens instantly. Sometimes there's a hell of a lot of negotiation and uh, movement and um, the rejigging of uh, calendars in order for everybody to be here. So it's really appreciated when that can happen. So if we can give something back, we love to do so. So now just one more question before mm -hmm. you go. What is the future holding for Jilly Clark for the rest of the year going up to um, uh, 2020? Anything exciting that you can talk about or, or where do you think you want your business to be? What's interesting, Clayton, is I'm, I'm doing more collaboration. So people that I'm meeting through networking, copywriters, marketeers, printers, web development, collaborating with them on projects bigger projects that I wouldn't be able to handle as a solopreneur. Brilliant. Excellent. I think that's what somebody said in, in an article the other day, that uh, collaboration is the new competition. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> so on that note, Jilly Clark of Jilly Clark Designer, thank you ever so much for joining us on the Cashflow Show. Really, really appreciate it for taking the time and the trouble to sit down with us and tell us about your life, about your world in advertising and designing, branding and sharing your wisdom. Thank you very much for doing so. My pleasure, Clayton. 
Excellent. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Cashflow Show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today and would like to hear more, then please subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you wish to like, comment, leave a message, subscribe or follow us on social media, please do so as we would love to hear from you. If you're listening via Anchor, you can leave messages and questions on that format. So please don't be afraid and don't be shy in order to do so. So until the next time, take care from everyone at the Cashflow Show. Goodbye. Goodbye.